The following is a Better Living Through Bad Movies presentation. Post-war America saw many innovations. The space race, transistor technology, the sexual revolution. But most important, we harnessed mass media to pry into the sex lives of dull and not very attractive married couples. In 1966, the newlywed game debuted and asked the question, how well do you really know your spouse? TV host Bob Eubanks would pose such penetrating queries as, Would your wife say she prefers to make whoopee with lights on or off? But the movies got there first, and the issues they raised were much more hard-hitting. For instance, the alligator people dared to ask drive-in audiences, Is your husband a concert pianist? or a mutant crocodilian with moist fingertips. Let's find out, shall we? The Alligator People, 1959. Directed by Roy Del Ruth. Screenplay by Orville H. Hampton. Story by Orville H. Hampton and Charles O'Neill. A psychiatrist who looks like Mr. Dithers from Blondie arrives at a sanitarium where he meets with the amazing transparent man. Here playing the ordinarily opaque doctor. Dithers has been called in to consult because Dr. Transparent is... Having trouble with a young girl. One of his patients. Dr. Dithers smiles a weird, mustache-warping grin and says... Is she pretty? I don't know. Are you creepy? (sighs) The patient, Beverly Garland, is actually Dr. Transparent's nurse, except he's been giving her roofies and secretly psychoanalyzing her behind her back. I know we're only two minutes in, and I hate to jump the gun, but I'm really beginning to wonder if this is the best date movie I could have chosen. He makes Bev lie down on a couch beside his huge reel-to-reel tape deck. Presumably queued up with bachelor pad quality cocktail jazz. Then prepares to shoot her up while Dr. Dithers leans way over and tries to score a peek down her smock. Dr. Transparent holds a syringe up and murmurs to Beverly, A nice sharp one for you this time. I can only assume he administered her previous injections with a heroin-dispensing busy buzz-buzz. Beverly goes into a trance, and the two psychiatrists, Dr. Feelgood and Dr. Feelup, perform hypnotic regression therapy on her. Bev confesses that she's secretly married to Rocky Jones, Space Ranger, Space Ranger, Space Ranger, Space Ranger. Flashback to their wedding night. We meet the newlyweds on a moving train. And you know what that means. As a porter pops a champagne cork. And you know what that means. Jeez, Rocky, try double bagging it. Or maybe get one of those topical anesthetics they sell in the back of Hustler. Now that they're married, Rocky has a confession to make why he's still alive even though his body was previously destroyed in a plane crash. Alas, his story is interrupted by a bunch of telegrams. Bev gets a dirty message from her fellow nurses. While Rocky receives a singing telegram from the soundtrack. And while there aren't any lyrics, the ominous trilling doesn't seem to be saying congratulations. Rocky abruptly leaps off the train, leaving his wife bereft on their wedding night. Fortunately, her girlfriends did just wire her some porn, so... Bev eventually tracks Rocky to his hometown in Bayou Country. She gets off the train, finding the station deserted, except for a wooden crate covered in stickers that read... Caution, radioactive material, and cobalt-60. And does what anyone would in her place. She sits on the box of isotopes and bathes her cooter in gamma rays. I'm hoping this will pay off later in the movie when, angered by Dr. Dithers' sexism, her vulva becomes huge, green, and indestructible. 
Lon Chaney Jr. shows up sporting a straw hat, hooked hand, and cirrhosis of liver. One of the few local Cajuns who doesn't have a cooking show, he makes his living hauling nuclear waste to the Cypresses, which, by an amazing transparent coincidence, is the very plantation where Rocky used to live. Lon and Beverly drive through some scenic Spanish moss, while Lon lists the many ways she could die in the swamp. Quicksand, water moccasins... Foreshadowing... Before building to a spittle-flecked rage about the... Nasty, slimy gators... He's a fun tour guide, kind of like those guys who operate the Jungle Cruise ride at Disneyland, except maimed and screaming. Beverly arrives at the Cypresses, which comes equipped with black servants and a sinister widow, Mrs. Hawthorne, who claims to know nothing about Rocky Jones' Space Ranger, Space Ranger, Space Ranger, Space Ranger, insisting she's more of a Tom Corbett Space Cadet fan. Although she'll watch Rod Brown and the Rocket Rangers if nothing else is on. Since there isn't another train until tomorrow, Bev is forced to spend the night, but the whole atmosphere of the plantation is so creepy that she breaks out in a rash of voiceovers. Suddenly, there's a hail of gunshots just outside Beverly's window. She runs to investigate, but the bedroom door won't open. They've locked her in, and for the first time, we really begin to worry if there's a bathroom. The maid comes to Beverly's room to deliver dinner on a tray, an exposition on a silver platter. It seems the house has... Trouble. Widow Hawthorne has... Sorrow. And the swamp has... Evil. Or maybe Mrs. Hawthorne has evil and the swamp has sorrow? Or possibly it's like a key party and they just get drunk and randomly swap nouns. Widow Hawthorne calls George McCready, who does what he usually does in movies, stands around in a lab coat. In this case, he has an alligator stretched out on a slab and elaborately bound with leather straps, making it look like we've interrupted an autopsy at the pleasure chest. Meanwhile, Beverly hears music and sneaks downstairs, where she finds a man in a trench coat and a Don Post monster mask playing the piano. He sees her and runs away, leaving Bev to touch the instrument and muse. The piano keys, still wet from his fingers. So presumably, he's playing Beethoven's Andy Freude, or Ode to Joy of Sex. Beverly gives Mrs. Hawthorne the third degree, and the old woman admits to being Rocky's mother. Bev gasps. His mother? And we immediately fade out like it's a soap opera. I'm almost disappointed that they didn't follow up with an organ sting and a commercial for Dud's detergent. Rocky sneaks into the house to leave his sticky emissions on the piano again, and comes face to face with Beverly. He runs out into the rainy night, and she chases him through the swamp in her bare feet the tight bodice of her dress getting all wet and clingy and sheer. And how this film didn't win an Oscar for Best Picture, I'll never know. Lon hears the unmistakable sound of moist, muddy girl and emerges from his shack. Meanwhile, Bev stumbles toward an alligator, which is clearly supposed to react and startle her, but it just lays there. So you could all but hear the director yell from off-camera, Kick it! Kick it! She nudges the thing with her bare foot and it obligingly rides around. Its jaws are clearly wired shut. But still, if the dictionary definition of trooper doesn't read C. Garland Beverly, me and Miriam Webster are gonna throw down. Lon rescues Beverly from a snake and takes her back to his shack, where he offers her traditional southern hospitality by suggesting she drink moonshine and take off them wet things. When she demurs... He cuts straight to the sexual assault by wrapping her in a blanket and trying to kiss the back of her head while crowing. Didn't I save your life? 
Don't you feel you owe me something? So, if you've ever wondered what Harvey Weinstein would look like playing Paul Prudhomme as Captain Hook, this is your lucky day. Bev screams, and he knocks her cold. Just then, Rocky bursts into the cabin and gets in a violent fistfight with a stuntman while Lon has a beer in the catering tent. Because he's ogled, manhandled, and cold-cocked his leading lady. Now comes Miller time. Rocky carries Beverly back to the plantation, then goes to the lab and demands that Dr. McCready hit him with a massive dose of gamma radiation from the Cobalt 60, since it's his only chance to return to human form. And since his makeup looks remarkably like the Jack Kirby Hulk, there's at least a slim chance he'll transform into Bill Bixby. McCready tells Bev how he planned to give human beings the reptilian power of regeneration by shooting them up with alligator juice. He... Injected this substance into the veins of volunteers, horribly injured, hopelessly mangled accident victims on the point of death. So, no matter how heroic and ethical the doctors on ER seemed, this is the shit they were pulling just off camera. Bev and Rocky are reunited at the lab, and being a good 1950s helpmate, she completely supports his decision to get his scaly ass fatally irradiated. Nothing could possibly go wrong. Unless a drunken hook-handed sex offender bursts into the lab at exactly the wrong moment and excess radiation causes Rocky to abruptly develop into a bipedal reptile, complete with papier-mâché alligator head. But what are the odds of that? Rocky Gator runs off into the swamp for some reason. Perhaps he's embarrassed by his crappy costume. Perhaps he's late for his mascot tryout with the University of Florida. Bev chases after him, catching up just in time to see him drown in quicksand. Cut back to the amazing transparent doctor's office, where he and Dithers study the tape recording of Bev's session. Fast-forwarding it, then playing it backwards to see if Paul is really dead. They conclude that Beverly has totally suppressed the memory of this horrifying and traumatic experience, and the two psychiatrists debate whether they should play the tape for her. Possibly bringing on a complete psychotic break. They decide it would be unethical, and we can certainly trust their moral judgment because they're doctors who like to sedate and peep on their employees. The end. But wait, what about you, the motion picture audience member? Don't think you're getting off that easy. What would you do if you'd been going along, minding your own business, drugging and hypnotizing your assistant, only to discover that she was actually the amnesiac widow of a musically inclined lizard? It's a bit of an ethical pickle, isn't it? Would you tell Beverly Garland that her entire life was a lie? Remember... That the news might drive her insane. But it also might prove comforting and finally explain why she's the only lady on our block who has a glow-in-the-dark vagina. Choose wisely. Or not. Who cares, really? They're all dead, anyway. The alligator people. Even though there was only one, so it really should have been titled The Alligator Person, or even, for that Isaac Asimov touch, I Alligator. Was brought to you by Better Living Through Bad Movies the leading self-help book for people addicted to crappy cinema. Better Living Through Bad Movies is available in paperback and ebook format from Amazon. The audiobook is available from audible.com.